Welcome to our classroom. In this space, we talk about education, which is inclusive of, but not limited to, what happens in schools. Education is taking place whenever and wherever we are willing to learn. I am your host, Roberto Germán, and our classroom is officially in session. Today we have Katie Malinsky joining us. Katie is a licensed social worker. She is a parenting coach. Uh, she is a family therapist based in Austin, Texas, has over two decades of experience. Katie helps parents see the key connections. She helps them resolve family difficulties. She helps them strengthen parent and child relationship. She gets families back in balance and moving forward. She presents workshops that cover a broad spectrum of topics, including managing difficult behavior in children, parenting through divorce, parenting teenagers, and communicating about sexuality. Katie is also the author of the book, How to Talk to Your Teen About Anything, and we are going to be unpacking that today. You make sure you get your copy online, available in the indie bookstores. Support Katie Malinsky and just grow in understanding how to talk to teenagers. Uh, certainly geared towards parents, but not just for parents. And so go out there and support Katie in the work that she's doing. We're so happy to have Katie with us today. And I'm eager to hear from Katie, to learn, to, to build my practice as a parent, my approach as a parent. And so welcome, Katie Malinsky, and thank you for your patience as we work through some technology issues. I'm so glad we finally got through it. <laughs> Indeed. And it's so much better when we're in person, right, Katie? It is so much better. It is so much better. And you can't see it, of course, but I've got my phone um, boxed in by a bunch of Kleenex boxes because any good therapist always has a bunch of Kleenex boxes around. And that's what I used last minute to switch from phone or computer to phone. <laughs> so I'm brought to you today by Kleenex. That's great. That's great. You know, we've done some panels together and thankfully we didn't have these these hiccups with the technology because we were in person, but obviously we're living in different times. And so we roll with the punches and, and I appreciate your flexibility and I appreciate your presence. So I don't want to waste your time. I want to dig in, want to jump right to it. And I know our audience is eager to hear and learn from you, Katie. And so I, I want to start by, by talking about the, the main focus of your book, at least what I extracted as the main focus, which is essentially communication skills. And you unpack five fundamental communication skills, active listening, authentic communication, nonverbal communication, emotional regulation, and boundaries and emotional boundaries. Uh, I, I love the way that you broke down those five um, things I'm familiar with, but it's really good for me to hear it from the parenting perspective because sometimes even though i have many years working in schools and serving other children uh, as you mentioned in the book there were just things that you really didn't understand until you started to parent um, things that hit you differently things that you experienced differently things that informed 
your approach. And, and so of the five fundamental communication skills, which one do you think is the most essential and why? It's it's hard to pick a favorite. <laughs> I know, I know. I knew this was gonna happen. But I'm 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 gonna put the pressure on you. I need you to pick one, Katie. All right, All right. one, one. Okay. So I'll go with emotional regulation. Um and I think the reason why that one feels most critical, most essential to me is that when we don't have emotional regulation, it's gonna be really hard to do anything else. If if I am experiencing out of control emotions, it's gonna be really hard for me to be thinking about my nonverbal communication. And it's gonna be really hard for me to be managing boundaries. And it's gonna be really hard for me to be authentic because I'm feeling freaked out. So um, when we've got emotional regulation, it lets us turn on that observer part of the brain, um, the part of the brain that's like collecting all the data and making good, good decisions. Um, and so I would say that's probably the most essential. And then I would also say, because I always think it's um, a good idea to acknowledge that we all live in the real world, um, that folks can't meet, they, they can't regulate their emotions when they don't have their basic needs met. So um, I know that like, it's a hierarchy, right? So like, if I'm hungry, I can't learn. If I don't feel safe, I'm not going to be able to regulate myself. And I'm not going to achieve these sort of higher goals of behavior. Um, so I just like to kind of start there and say emotional regulation is key. And I know it's not always possible all the time. Mm. Mm. Thank you. You know, when I was working in early childhood, emotional regulation is something that we, we talked about a lot. And I was new to early childhood. So I was seeing things and not fully understanding, like, why is this kid having this tantrum or, um, you know, why is the kid not responding positively after I've laid out this wonderful menu of options? Um, but it's interesting to think about it in terms of teenage emotional regulation, right? And to consider like, oh, wait, their frontal lobe is not even fully developed. And so thank you for identifying uh, emotional regulation as being the most essential of the five. Uh, mm -hmm. Something for us to think about, those who are parenting teens, those who are working with teens in any capacity, especially when when a teenager might really be struggling with some of their behaviors. And I would even add to that and say um, their emotional regulation is key, but so is ours. Mm -hmm. um, I find parenting, being, parenting to be pretty challenging. And there are moments where I can tell that I am not at my calmest self. And I know that's going to impact communication hugely. So it's it's both, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I can relate to that. I have a seven-year-old, uh, a three-year-old, soon to be four, and, and a one-year-old. And they all have their unique needs, right? And I think lately I've been struggling with my own emotional regulation in terms of how do I maintain the balance of what needs to get done while also meeting their needs, but try to coach them through their emotional regulations. But first I need to coach myself, right? So, and that's that's what you do as it, you know, I know that part of what it stated in the book was you encourage a family, a parents might come into you saying, you know, my kid needs therapy, my kid needs support. 
But part of what you try to encourage them to do is to take that on for themselves first um, as a way to help their children. Absolutely. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's usually pretty satisfying because when parents come to me, they want something to get better. And they think that, that when I did therapy with kids, which I don't anymore, but they would want me as the therapist to make things better for their kids. Mm. It's actually freeing when parents are like, wait, you can tell me something. And then if I know this thing, then I can make things better with my kid. Like that's empowering. Parents love it. It's, you know, it reminds me of Montessori. Uh, a mm -hmm. lot of the Montessori approach is about empowering the child, giving them the tools, giving them the skills, building their independence, right? They're, they're dependent on us. They, they move to being interdependent, but we want to build their independence. So it reminds me a lot of Montessori. Uh, on page 13 in your book, you, you talk about teens wanting and needing inclusivity. What are some ways that we could support this, this need, this want of inclusivity for teenagers amidst living through a pandemic and many people feeling distant? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is so hard right now. Um, I mean, not a day goes by that I don't see something that reminds me how all of humanity is really hurting right now. Mm. Um, and I just don't think that we're really even acknowledging the magnitude of the loss that we as a species has been going through um, because of COVID-19. Like, I just think we are not the same humans as we were two years ago. I think right. we're more fearful, more mistrustful, more hypervigilant. We have more xenophobia, like all of it is worse. I'm not saying it was good before, but it's worse now. And and because of that, I think inclusivity is harder. Um, sometimes when I think about this, it's like, well, these are almost intractable, intractable problems. Like these are really big problems. And then I remind myself, I specialize in parenting. <laughs> so I pull myself back in and I say, I have the privilege of just looking at small problems. So how can I help this parent with that kid and I, that helps my brain. And so um, when we think about inclusivity in parenting, it's, it's kind of the same whether we're in a pandemic or not. Like really the, the first step is always accept your kid for who your kid is. If your child feels seen and accepted by you, your child is gonna grow up and be a person who sees and accepts other people for who they are. Like fundamentally, if we can give that to our kids, then they will give it to the world. Um, so for sure that like, just work every day to see your kid for who they are and accept them for who they are. Even the places, even the parts of them that need to grow that aren't quite perfect, we know that exists, but it's okay to love and accept somebody where they are. Um, and then I think probably like the second most powerful way that we can raise teenagers to be inclusive, um, to, to have inclusivity and to put it into the world is for them to see us practicing inclusivity. So like, do they see me growing? Do they see me challenging myself in my beliefs? Do they see me doing anti-racist work? Do they see me um, catching myself when I do something wrong? Do they see me extending an olive branch? Those are the things that um, teach them how to do it when we can finally all leave the house again. Right, right. So mo modeling the behavior for them. 
Uh, and also you, you mentioned acknowledging them, helping them feel seen and, and feel heard. Um, do you have some practices in mind to for us to maintain as awareness in terms of supporting um, our children and feeling seen and heard? Is there one or two things that come to mind in terms of like, hey, this is a regular practice that you can implement? Mm -hmm. uh, I could talk for so many hours about this. That's not the question you asked though. Okay, um, I think that um, one really important way that we can show our kids that they're seen and heard is um, paying attention to their emotional life and their emotional needs, right? I'm a therapist, of course I like emotion. But you know, our, like you've got a four-year-old, right? So your four-year-old probably has an emotional life that looks like this, right? <laughs> kind of a roller coaster. Indeed. Yeah. So um, on the one hand, we don't want our whole family to be uh, a drug along as a four-year-old goes through their emotional roller coaster. However, we do want our four-year-old to have the, or our seven-year-old or our 16-year-old to have the experience of when they're really upset, their loving parent says, hey, I see that you're really upset. I'm sorry, you're really upset. I may not give you what you want or do the thing that you don't do, whatever, but I notice you and I notice your emotional experience and I do it with like care and communication and compassion all at the same time. Um, and that is just so fundamental. And we could do that a hundred times a day. It's really powerful. Hmm. So <clears throat> this next question is from a, a friend and supporter of the work. She shared, I would like to know how to talk with my overachieving kid about if she feels anxiety, if she feels overwhelmed, uh, needing to be perfect. What are some ways to address this without getting the I'm fine answer. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, so I'll pull back from an earlier answer where I talked about sort of the importance of our own role modeling. So I might even just start with that and just say, check, check in with your own self and how much of a perfectionist you might be and see if you can role model saying out loud, um, it's okay, I can relax. I don't have to have these super high expectations. I can let something be good is good enough, that sort of stuff, right? So like we can kind of start there with um, what what we're role modeling for our kids. Um, a second technique that's really helpful, believe it or not, is to focus on the failures. Okay. <laughs> it always makes me laugh when I say it, but uh, we can focus on failures in a good way. And I bet that you do this backwards and forwards in the classroom because failures are how we learn, right? Like we learn more from failures than successes sometimes. And so in a family setting, parents can talk openly about things that they tried that didn't work and talk about what they've learned and what they're gonna do differently. Like <laughs> tonight at the dinner table, I'm gonna talk about how I don't understand how Facebook privacy settings work. <laughs> <and> <laughs> If I ever have this opportunity again, I'm going to make sure that I like run through things and figure out what I'm doing wrong to begin with. So like I will demonstrate that um, even though I'm a pretty competent adult, my life has things that don't go right. And then my kids get to see us or see me doing that and recognize that that's a that's a learning opportunity. Um, and then maybe another idea is emotional vocabulary. So like 
do our kids live in a house where the grownups are talking about their feelings and they identify them with words so that like our kids have this rich expanded vocabulary to identify those inner emotional feelings and anxiety is in your body right that that sense that you have to be perfect and you have to get it right that's in your body can we say oh i'm feeling anxious oh i'm thinking about my assignment i'm thinking about my test and it's making me freak out um, just being able to talk about it's a big relief and then maybe um have one more. If you've got a teenager who's familiar, like they already speak in the language of white supremacy culture, you know, you might get that teenager to listen a teeny tiny little bit more by reminding them that perfectionism is an element of white supremacy culture. Mm. And so like, if, if you've got a teenager who's already used to thinking that way, then maybe that might like hook their brain and make them <laughs> listen to you for a minute <laughs> in a way that they don't otherwise. Um, yeah. So those, those are my thoughts. Mm, that's great. That's awesome. Um, and love that connection that you made there. Um, as it's a concept that many of our young people are exploring, are learning about, are, are understanding, uh, probably even more so than when we were younger. Uh, albeit the push to teach, uh, excuse me, the, the push to not allow um, at least in the educational setting, teachers to, to teach about and address white supremacy. So um, interesting so time. But hopefully just, that inspires our youth to want to pursue it even more, to want to yeah. learn it for <laughs> yes. themselves. And it's also an opportunity for parents, right? Yes. Like I always think that the schools are amazing for catching the things that parents missed, but really it will work so much better if parents say, even if the school is weirdly prohibiting, not weirdly, evilly prohibiting this, that doesn't mean that I can't still get that education to my kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and we should, as parents, uh, take ownership in that, not just rely on schools to, to teach about mm-hmm. all of these really important concepts, no doubt. Uh, but we should be driving the conversation at home, understanding it for ourselves, unpacking it with our children, uh, meeting them where they're at in terms of their level of understanding and obviously gradually trying to bring them up. So thank you for emphasizing that point. I want to go back to what you were talking about as it relates to failure. I was thinking a few days ago, I just had a, a long day with my kids. And as the evening was wrapping up and we were out there in the street playing and I'm just trying to give them some outdoor time, but also I'm trying to wear them down. <laughs> I was thinking to myself, Today, I failed as a parent. And, but I didn't take that next step of what you just explained in terms of communicating that to to them. Um, And I, I, now I'm thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, I should have. But I I was just there in a moment of reflection, like, I just did it. I didn't win today. I did not win. (laughs) Um, They got me. (laughs) <laughs> they they got me and I, you know, I just didn't respond the way I want to respond. And I, I had to do, I should have done some checking of myself, right? The emotional regulation, you know, understand like, where am I at? Where is this coming from? Why am I so ticked off? Why am I snapping? Um, is this effect? I know it's not, but, it, you know, uh, to your point of we as adults, also have to work on our own emotional regulation. And we as adults have to acknowledge our failures and it's okay to talk about that with our children. So I'm challenged by that. And I I appreciate you mentioning that 
I want to hold on to that for those moments where, where I am struggling as a parent. And I would love to give you a tiny um, uh, bit of grace almost, which is remember that parenting is a constant opportunity for do-over. Mm-hmm. So we're going to screw it up today, but they're there tomorrow. We get to try again. <laughs> again that's the t-shirt. <laughs> that's, that's the t-shirt, Katie. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, parenting is a the you said constant opportunity for do over. For do over, right? Okay. That's it. Love it. Love it. So in the in this text, I'm thinking about can we use this in schools? If so, how can we use it in schools? Uh in, in what ways can can educators extract things from your book, uh, how, to, how to talk to teens, right? How, how can educators take this? How to talk to your teen about anything? Because might not be a parent, but in the school setting, we, you know, one can argue we play parent-like roles. We're not the parents. The educators are not the parents. I want to make that clear. But we are nurturing we are caring for the young people that we're building community. We play to an extent parent like roles. So how can educators take the book, how to talk to your teen about anything and implement it in their practice? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I always think that the best educators are the ones who are really good at the relationship piece first. So it's, it's like, it's not even probably what they train you in school, but the people who are able to connect relationally with kids then stack their education skills on top of it to be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I think that my book is, it's a little subversive because it says it's about communication, but man, it is a relationship book. It is all about creating the kind of relationship with your teenager where you can talk to them about anything. And you don't have to have like, given birth to that kid in order to create that kind of relationship. And so any teacher who, who really resonates with how important the relationship piece is um, for their role is going to find stuff in here that's useful to them. And also the first half of the book is like just hardcore skills, like nonverbal communication, like checking our own body, like, you know, what does my face look like? How stiff is my spine? Am I communicating a relaxed nervous system? Um, so whether they pull out the really concrete communication advice or they pull out my like favorite parts, which is it's all about the relationship. Either way, teachers are going to be able to, um, to to use that information to build those good, strong relationships with their students that the kids really need. Uh- I'm, I'm glad you expressed that it's about relationships uh, because the, the focus should always be there, building the relationships with our young people and allowing that to inspire where it is that we could take them, right? Because if we have that trust, uh, if, if the youngsters trust us, if they feel like we're in relationship with them instead of just speaking at them, um, then they're, they're willing to let us into their world. Um, but they're also more willing to allow us to challenge and encourage them. And I think it's important that as educators, we're open to reading things that are not strictly within the box of education. That That's what my platform is about. That's what our classroom is about, is understanding that education is happening 
wherever and whenever we are willing to learn. So thank you for sharing that. I, I know that I've extracted some things uh, from, from reading your book that I'm definitely implementing into my parenting practice, uh, <laughs> but really into my practice in general in terms of being in relationship with others and working on effective communication. Awesome. That's awesome to hear. So what other group settings do you envision this text being utilized in? Oh, oh, that's a great question. I don't have an answer for. <laughs> um, I, I might have to sleep on that one, Roberto. I, okay. I thought of it as a book for parents, and I thought, yeah, educators too, but man, you got me there. <laughs> Listen, you know, I, I got to ask these good marketing questions uh, because it's also part of what we do. You know, we, we create books, we create curriculum, we put it out there. So, uh, you know, I'm always curious to to tap into the minds of what other authors are thinking and content creators and where it is they want to bring their products. But also when I see a product that I enjoy, that I believe in, um, that, that I'm benefiting from, I want to see it do well. I want to see it be widespread. I, I, I want to see it exist in other settings. So that's where the question was coming from. Yeah. I want to go back to a comment uh question that that was shared and the question was what are some behaviors that are actually related to emotional regulation oh my gosh um all of them all of the behaviors are related to emotional regulation <laughs> so it also kind of depends on the age of the kid the younger the child the more likely that they're um that their their not good behaviors are related to emotional regulation, um, because like a kid who is four, I keep using your kids as examples because they're perfect. No, ages, no, it's right? great because my my <laughs> soon to be four year old has been giving me a run for my parents and money. <laughs> well, that's what they're supposed to do. I always joke. I hope this is okay to say, but I always joke that three and four year olds are the sociopaths of childhood. Oh. <laughs> so. They're supposed to 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 break the rules and to do the opposite of what we want. So good good on your four year old for doing that. So um, a four year old, let's see, behaviorally, um, they when they're cooperative with you, that's because they're they're fed and rested and they're having an okay day, and because they are hardwired to be in alignment with their parent most of the time, um, meaning a pre-adolescent kid wants to mostly align with their parent, except that a four-year-old wants to thwart their parents sometimes because they need to rattle the bars of the cage to find out where the limits are. And then once they've done that, then they want to go right back into alignment with you and feel safe and they pleased you and it was okay to rattle the bars. So they like alignment, rattle, alignment. Um, and so if you think about it, all of the behaviors are related to their emotional regulation. When they're calm, when they're feeling good, they're cooperative, they're sweet. I love you here, daddy. I brought you a thing. That's all related to how peaceful and everything is good that they feel. And then when they rattle the, the bars of the cage, so to speak, um, it may be, again, totally normal and they're calm and they're just doing their developmentally um, normal uh, autonomy seeking. And then when they fall apart and they cry and they kick, 
or they fall down or they yell, you're not a good daddy or whatever it is that mm, they do. Right. That's a, that's an expression of the fact that they've fallen apart up here. Their mm. brain's not working properly anymore. And then they need us to help them get put back together. And then whoop, then they flip back into alignment with us. And they're like, I love you. Thank you for not throwing me out into the snow. I need to please you and to be loved by you. Well, there's, there's no snow in Tampa. <laughs> that would be a consideration if they were, but there's no snow in Tampa. So I have not thrown my kids out into the snow. Uh, but when we go back to Massachusetts, when we're, where we're from, well, they're lucky because we're never trying to travel to Massachusetts during the winter season. <laughs> but if we ever have to, it, don't be surprised if one of my kids report that I threw them out into the snow. <laughs> I might not be emotionally regulated that day. Yeah. Yeah. But when I am emotionally regulated, one of the things I do is give them the space to scream, kick, throw himself on the floor and all that jazz. And then after a little bit, I'm down at the, down at your eye level, whispering, hey, come here, come here. You want to eat lunch? I made you lunch. You know, I'm whispering to him, then grab him, tight squeeze. And then I, I do see the, all right, I'm, I'm winding down. All right, I appreciate the hug. It's filling my cup. All right back in alignment yeah uh, but i but this it's such a discipline at least i find it to be such a discipline to be able to recognize what's happening mm -hmm. not react immediately mm -hmm. process the response and then execute the response mm -hmm. right it's i find it to be such a discipline mm -hmm. and it's the hardest job in the world it is the hardest job in the world hands down and i've been principal at some very difficult schools but parenting takes the kick <laughs> and children are still a blessing and inheritance of the lord so thank you thank you for, for, <laughs> for the children we got three <laughs> we got three but lord are they making us earn our parenting stripes Mm -hmm. And and so I see the signs of things to come. So it's helpful because my kids are not teenagers, but I could read your text and not only anticipate things that we'll experience in the future and anticipate the uh, approaches that we can implement, but we could also extract things that we could do right now. To, to strengthen the relationship, right? Coming back to, to that key thing that this is about relationships. Strengthen the relationship, improve the communication, mm -hmm. and to develop good habits mm -hmm. around parenting that mm -hmm. one would hope would translate into a stronger bond between mm -hmm. parent and child or parents mm -hmm. and children. Yeah. So... Yeah. Katie, to those who are watching, what is the message of encouragement you want to offer them? Um, I think it all comes down to love. Love your kids and uh, love yourself and forgive yourself when you make a mistake and then come back to it. Um, 
focus on those relationships and you, you got this. Awesome. And where can folks follow you? Let's see. So I'm on Instagram at parenthood understood parenthood, P A R E N T H O O D parenthood understood. And on Facebook, if you just search for parenthood understood, you'll find me there or my website, which is parenthood understood again, you send to the theme um, where you can sign up for my mailing list. And I would love if you guys would join my mailing list because I've been sending out some really good stuff a little more regularly. So, and to join your mailing list, we would go to Parenthood Understood website, right? And then yep. subscribe. Yep. It's just right there. Okay. Awesome. Hey, folks, if you're not following Katie Malinsky, do yourselves a favor. Follow her now across her platforms, particularly the, the newsletter on her website, Parenthood Understood. Support her in purchasing the book how to talk to your teen about anything. It is gonna help you if you're a parent, but it's also just gonna help you to be in better relationship with others and improve your communication. Katie is a wonderful resource, uh, so much to offer, and grateful for your time, grateful for your insight. Uh, I'd love to do this again because it helps me to learn and grow as a parent, as an educator, and I'm humble enough to admit that parenting challenges me uh, more than I would like it to, but I, I learn from my mistakes, right? We talked about failures er earlier and also learn from folks like you uh, who, who have a particular expertise that I don't in terms of what you study, the brain-based research, um, and, and all the data that you have from different families that you work with. So thank you for offering yourself, offering your insight, uh, and just being such a great resource. It's been my pleasure. It is so good to hear your voice and see your face again. And like you said, I wish it was in person. It's really been a pleasure. As always, your engagement in our classroom is greatly appreciated. Be sure to subscribe, rate the show, and write a review. Finally, for resources to help you understand the intersection of race, bias, education, and society, go to multiculturalclassroom.com. Peace and love from your host, Roberto Germán.